0: I feel certain as we uh, work our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, those songs that we sing in worship will become richer and deeper in meaning than you ever imagined. So as we do begin this morning, I want you to take a moment and imagine having a conversation with your future self. You're going to sit down and you're going to have a conversation and talk about what life has been and what you've learned along the way. How it might be different if you had to do it all over again. What wrongs you might choose to right. What mistakes you might try to avoid. Some of the life experiences that you would relish. Things that you might have taken for granted that you would want to appreciate all the more if you had to do it all over again. In many ways, in my mind, as I think about the book of Ecclesiastes, That's what I see going on. It's a story about life and the important truths that are learned along the way, but it's a view with a perspective from the end. It's what life would look like if we could live life backwards. But what makes the book challenging (laughs) is the tension that is created along the way. It produces a longing for something more than this world has to offer. It asks some incredibly profound questions that will stretch you to uncomfortable limits. I promise it. It will leave you looking for answers with no answers given. At least not immediately. It will make you long for something more. You might consider it like watching an artist paint a painting. And What you see as he begins is he takes a black paint and coats the canvas. It's, it's dark. It's dismal. And then he begins with little brush strokes here and there, but they don't seem to have any meaning or purpose whatsoever. For the longest time, you're staring at this canvas that makes no sense. But then, the scene starts to come to life. It's a bit of an agonizing process, but if you'll hang in there, eventually it all makes sense because you begin to see what the artist clearly had in mind all along. So as we walk through the book of Ecclesiastes together, be prepared to be stretched to uncomfortable limits. Be ready to deal with some really hard questions with no immediate answers. Allow the wisdom of the artist to lead you to a place of understanding. Let him reveal the meaning in what may initially appear to be meaningless. Ecclesiastes is a brutally honest book about life in this world. It will shift. It will shape your perspective in some unexpected ways. It will reveal some answers that bring meaning and purpose to what appears to be mundane. It will show you how to live each and every day. With the end in mind. So before we open the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father as we come to you. As I come to you. I admit fear and trepidation. There are some challenging words. That are yet ahead of us. But some profound truths. Built within them. Lord give us patience. Help us go with the artist. Believing. Believing. That he does have some beautiful picture in mind. Something that is worth waiting for. Something that is worth struggling through. As agonizing as it may feel at times. Lord, may we be willing to go into the hard places so that what is revealed is more beautiful than we ever imagined. Open our eyes. Help us see. And long for something more. We pray this in your name. Amen. So turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It's almost smack dab in the middle of your Bible, so you can kind of split it in half and maybe go a little left. But a book of Ecclesiastes. And if you would, begin reading with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? Well, that's an interesting start, isn't it? (laughs) But we learn some things right from the beginning. We learn that the writer of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Verse 1, he's described as the preacher or Kohaleth in Hebrew. It's a word that speaks of someone who talks about wisdom to a gathering of God's people. That's why the English translates it as preacher. That's what we try to do. And it makes sense that Solomon is the one speaking wisdom because he's the wisest man to have ever lived. However... If you read some of Solomon's reflections on life, sometimes he doesn't seem very wise. In fact, as we know, Solomon made some really poor choices during his lifetime, but his wisdom, his wisdom is what allowed him to navigate those choices and find truth in the end. It gave him the ability to teach from what he learned, including what he learned from the mistakes That he made. So Solomon starts this journey of discovery with some very strong and unsettling words. He says, it doesn't make sense. That's how he begins. It doesn't make sense. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. That word vanity is the Hebrew word "habel," And it's filled with a depth of meaning. It can mean futility or absurdity. That's why if you have the NIV translation, that verse reads, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Solomon is lamenting the fact that he cannot find a satisfying answer for life. Not only is life meaningless, it's mysterious. The psalmist uses that same word when he writes, Man is like a breath. Hebel, there's the word. His days are like a fleeting shadow. And so Solomon is describing how the meaning of life is is mysterious, it's, it's elusive, it's hard to grasp, difficult to understand. Our attempts to find answers just aren't being very satisfying, and ultimately leads to the conclusion as we try to discover the the meaning and purpose of of life in this world, there's there's got to be something more. He goes on and says, what advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? The word advantage in the original language is a business term. It means to have a return on investment. In other words, to get something out that is greater than what you put in. The key to understanding the question that he's asking here, and really all of Ecclesiastes for that matter, is the phrase under the sun. The word advantage, again, is a business term, it's looking for profit, it's looking for meaning under the sun. That statement sets the boundary for Solomon's dilemma. It's a term used to describe life this side of heaven, life within the boundaries of this world. And so Solomon is asking, what do we gain from everything that we do within the limits of this lifetime? And more importantly, how does my labor profit me once my labor is done? In other words, what is the gain that I take to the grave? Hmm. That's a really, really good question. Look at how he goes on in verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets. And hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing toward the south, then turning towards the north, the wind continues swirling along. And on its circular courses, the wind returns and the rivers flow into the sea. Yet the sea is not full. The place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. One of the things that is fascinating about Ecclesiastes is the fact that Solomon is a poet, and so there is a lyrical rhythm to his words, and I want you to appreciate the added dimension that this brings to what he writes. Here we see that the, the rhythm of his words are a reflection of the rhythm of life. Listen to it again. A generation goes and a generation comes, and the earth remains forever forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing toward the south and turning towards the north, the wind continues swirling along and on its circular courses, the wind returns. You hear it? Solomon is describing both in his language and in the rhythm of his words, this circular, cyclical pattern of life. And as he does so, he begins by describing specific things that we see in nature. He highlights what we see in the sun, what we see in the wind, what we see in the water. He talks about the sun moving from east to west, the wind moving from south to north, the waters rushing from high to low. And when you put it all together, you have this three dimensional image of what is happening on our globe. A cyclical rhythm, constantly repeating, but never progressing. A cyclical rhythm, constantly repeating, but never progressing. And that's really important because this unchanging rhythm is what sustains that delicate balance of life. The earth is just the right distance away from the sun. Any farther away and it would freeze over. Any closer and we would all melt under its heat. The earth, as we know, is tilted 23 degrees on its axis. If it were not tilted, there would be massive amounts of ice that would collect on its poles. And in between would be an unbearable heat. Our atmosphere... It filters all the deadly UV rays from the sun except for a few that it filters through that kill the green algae that would otherwise accumulate in all the rivers and lakes and oceans in the world. So here we have the sun repeating its dance across the sky perfectly designed to sustain life on earth and yet... Generations come, generations go. The earth remains forever, but man cannot endure. An ongoing rhythm of life, consistently repeating, but not progressing. The wind, he goes on and describes moving from south to north, wrapping itself around the globe like a, like a blanket. Like our sun, the air is perfectly balanced to sustain life. 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and then another 12 elements make up that remaining 1%. This recipe for life is constantly mixed by the movement of the earth, by the movement of the tides, tides that are controlled By the presence of the moon. And without the moon we could not survive. Like the sun the moon is just the right size. And just the right distance from the earth. It causes the oceans to spread its moisture around the earth. And all of this activity brings balance to the air we breathe. Again perfectly designed to sustain life. And yet generations come and generations go. The earth remains forever, but man cannot endure. Water and the rivers race to the ocean, but the ocean is not full. It lives within a boundary. Water evaporates from the ocean. It ascends into the sky only to fall by rain to the earth again to fill the rivers that rush into the ocean and the cycle continues. Rain that is formed around particles of dust, dust created by the heat of the sun and, and moved about by the winds of the earth. In fact, just one drop of rain is made up of thousands and thousands of little droplets of water. And each one of those droplets of water wraps around a particle of dust, forms into clouds. Clouds create rain that falls to the earth and the cycle continues. Perfectly designed to sustain life, and yet, generations come, Generations go, the earth remains forever, but man cannot endure. A cycle, a rhythm, constantly repeating, but never progressing. Because the outcome is the same for all of us. Look at how he continues in verse 8. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which is, has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it's new. Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Solomon says the rhythm is wearisome because this ongoing repetition yields no discernible progress. No matter how we try to advance and and, and, progress progress, we cannot eliminate the struggle and death is still inevitable. Solomon says we receive endless amounts of input and yet we're rarely fulfilled. Our our words fall short. Our eyes are not satisfied. Our ears are never full. Despite living in this balance of life on earth, it's never enough. We have all we have to sustain life on earth, and it's never enough. There's a longing for something more, a desire for something new. And yet, when we have something new, it eventually becomes old, and then we start looking for something new again. It's like a cosmic game of let's pretend. Let's pretend if we get a new job, then we can avoid all the stress and difficulty in the one that we have. Let's pretend if we get a new home that we won't want to move anymore. Let's pretend that if we end this marriage, that the new relationship won't have the same struggles. Let's pretend if we just had more money, we would have less worries. Let's pretend that we can interrupt this cycle and something new will take the weary struggle away. And yet, and yet, as Solomon tells us, there is no civilization on earth that has ever proven this to be true. Nations rise and nations fall and the greatest empires the world has ever known cease to exist. Solomon says there is nothing new under the sun. But yet we're so inclined to believe. That our tireless efforts will eventually take the weary struggle away. We're quick to say, oh look, there's something new and that'll change everything. It will, be, it will revolutionize life as we know it. It will, it will take that weary struggle away. It will somehow make life easier or, or somehow make life better. We live in the information age, right? Where the latest technology always promises what? To make life better. We have our cell phones. It will enhance our communication. It will give us instant access to information. They promise to have greater productivity and increased connections. And yet, everyone is always looking for the latest upgrade. Always looking for something better than what we already possess. And so here's my question. Have all those advances really increased our productivity or have they just made us more stressed? (laughs) Have they really enhanced our communication or have we truly forgotten how to relate to one another as human beings? Face to face, eye to eye. So many advances, but is there really any progress? Well, we found a cure for polio. That's an advance. That's progress. And yet, we also know that there are so many forms of cancer that remain a mystery. And even when we get closer to new cures, we continue to find new problems. It's not unusual even in today's age, for a doctor to say, I've never seen that before. Despite all the research we've done, there's a steady flow of things that we have never, ever seen. So do we really believe that one day, something new will break this cycle of futility? A day when all our questions are answered. A day when all of our problems are solved. A day when our labor produces a satisfying result and takes the weary struggle away. Or maybe if we're honest, we realize Solomon is right. There is nothing new under the sun. Life in this world does not satisfy what our heart longs for most. The futility that we experience stirs a hunger in our heart for something more. And despite all our efforts towards new and different, despite all the advances in, in science, in, in medicine and technology, our eye is not satisfied. Our ear is not full. Our words are still empty. There is no generation in the history of the world that has broken the cycle of futility. The desire for more. The desire for new. The desire for different. And that desire exists because of the hunger that's in our heart. The thirst that is in our soul. And those things cannot and will not be satisfied under the sun. Everything is meaningless. Vanity of vanities. As long, here's the key, as long as we're looking for answers under the sun. Because the answer does not exist within the boundaries of this world. All of creation, including generations and generations of people, validate this truth. It's a never-ending cycle. A never-ending quest for more. So if you want to find the answer, you have to look beyond the sun. You have to see beyond the limits of what this world has to offer. Now, we know that throughout the Bible, we see the scripture pointing us to the answers of where that truth is found. And I want to protect the integrity of what Solomon is doing because he's wanting to, to leave us longing for something more, and we should. But I want to give you a glimpse and just a glimpse of what he has in mind. So if you would turn to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19. I chose this psalm because Solomon's father, David, who wrote this psalm, is describing the very same phenomenon in nature. But I want you to listen to his words. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. David writes and says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterance to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from his heat. Much like Solomon, his father David is speaking about what he sees in nature, but the manner of his description is very different, isn't it? Instead of meaningless, we see David talking about the very same events as having been filled with purpose. Solomon said, the sun rises and the sun sets and hastens to his place as it rises again. It's mundane. It's boring. But David describes the same event and says, the sun is like a bridegroom. Like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Instead of boring and mundane, it's it's filled with anticipation. David says, the sun rejoices as a strong man runs its course. In other words, the rhythm of the sun is filled with joy. Two very different descriptions, right? From two very different perspectives. And I want you to know this morning, they are both right. It just depends on the view of which you gain your perspective. If we're looking for answers within the boundaries of this world, it is an exercise in futility. No no matter what angle we might view them from. The angle of technology or medicine or sociology or psychiatry. Each of those views leave you longing for something more. Like Solomon, there is nothing that satisfies the quest for answers under the sun. But if you look beyond the sun, where the heavens declare the glory of God, then you begin to find the answers. But they are not truths that you discover. (laughs) This is key. They are not truths that you discover. They are ones that are revealed. They come from a divine source whose ways are not as our way, whose thoughts are not as our thoughts. He is giving answers to questions we haven't even thought to ask. If you want to find the answers that satisfy your soul, you have to look beyond the sun. You have to see beyond the limits of Of this world. See the ultimate arrogance of humanity. Is to believe we possess all the answers on our own. And listen closely to this. Because there are plenty in this room to which this applies. The ultimate arrogance of humanity. Is to believe that you possess all the answers on your own. That's why we chose to eat the apple. That's why we chose to build a tower. That's why we chose ultimately to crucify the one who came to set us free. It is the futility of selfish independence that is our greatest enemy. When Paul writes to the Roman, I believe he speaks to this. In chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been, and here's the key, clearly seen. Not hidden, not mysterious, but clearly seen through what He has made so that we are all without excuse. But even though that God has made these things to be clearly seen, to be adequately revealed, man does not honor God or give thanks to his faithful provisions like that repeating cycle of the sun moving from east to west, the wind moving from south to north, the waters rushing from high to low. Instead, we declare that that delicate balance of life is the result of a random cosmic event. That's why Paul says, they became foolish in their, here's the word, futile speculation. Looking for answers under the sun. He says they are foolish Because their hearts were darkened. They professed to be wise, but they were fools. Fools are the ones who try to use worldly wisdom in order to understand spiritual truths. Those who look for answers within the limits of this world. Paul says it is futile speculation. Solomon says it's vanity of vanities. But both of them are saying the very same thing. you want to find answers that satisfy your soul, you must look beyond the sun. The place where God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature are clearly revealed. In the end, you have to look to God if you want to find the truth. Now I realize That's a pretty vague description of where truth is found without a lot of detail of how we're going to get there, but that's okay. Because that's where Solomon wants you to live for a little bit. And I would encourage you to go about your week and think about all the advances in things that have happened in the history of mankind, and then truly ask yourself, have they ended the meaningless cycle of our search for something more? They satisfied our eyes, they filled our ears, they give meaning to our words so that we don't need something new anymore, or are we still longing for something more? And if so, maybe Solomon's right. Maybe we're not looking in the right place. There's nothing new under the sun. You're not going to find it there. So let the artist paint his picture, and he will show you the way. Amen? Let me pray for us, and then I want to introduce you a new couple who's joining our church family. Lord, thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you that uh, even though we are left wanting, <laughs> after seeing how meaningless life really is, this side of heaven, we have within our heart at least a desire, and for many a hope, that you have an answer for something more. That what Solomon is speaking to is a reality that we must admit, otherwise the answer is not all that fulfilling. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go about this week, that we consider the truth of what Solomon says. That we see the sun rising and we see the sunset and then it hastens to do it again tomorrow. We know well around here that the winds move briskly from south to north. We know that waters move from high to low. We see the rhythm of life and yet we admit that it doesn't change the fact that generations come and generations go. The earth remains forever, but man cannot endure. So as we look at life with the end in mind, help us see the truth that goes beyond the boundaries of life in this world. Where true meaning and purpose and life is found. We pray this in your name. Amen.